0: Hi, I'm Ryan Becker, and you're listening to the Rock Hill Seventh-day Adventist Church Official Sermon Archive. You can find more information about our church at www.rockhillsdachurch.org. We hope by listening to this message that you are encouraged and challenged in your walk with Christ. First John, chapter 3. Behold, when when you hear that word behold, That is something that kind of catches your attention. He's got something important that he wants to tell you. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called what? The sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Now he says you were going to be sons of God. What does that make us then in relation to Jesus Christ? Brothers brothers and sisters. We're brothers and sisters to Jesus Christ. How does that make you feel? I don't know about you, but that should give you a lot of excitement and think, wow. You mean to tell me the one who died for me, I am now his brother but that's exactly what God is saying here. This verse tells us who we are, members of God's family, sons and daughters of God. And the thing about these verses, the creator of the universe, the great I am, has chosen you. We didn't choose him. He chose you, he chose me, to be his son and his daughter. As believers, our self-worth is based on the fact that God loves us and that he calls us his children. We are his children now. We don't have to wait till sometime later in the future. We are his children now. Knowing that we are his children encourages us to live as Jesus lived. Notice verse two. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You know, when I think about that verse, I think about Sinai. When the children of Israel came to Sinai and the commandments were given, were they able to Look upon the mountain? Were they able to come up too close to the mountain? They couldn't, could they? Because of the glory of God. But yet this verse tells us we shall see him as he is. We shall see him face to face. Verse 3 And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Is this something that we do on our own? This this says it purifies himself, even as Christ is pure. Purifies himself. What does that mean? To be purified with the Holy Spirit. To be purified by the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's the work that he does in us. It's not what we do. Do we have a part to play in that, though? Yeah. The choices we make, right? The choices we make. The Christian life is a process of becoming more and more Christ-like. Go with me to, keep your hand in 1 John 3, but go with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. at verse 29 for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren and this process will not be complete until we see Jesus face to face notice 1 Corinthians chapter 13 First Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face now I know only in part but then shall I know even as also I am known and also go with me to Philippians Philippians chapter 3 verse 21 let's go back to verse 20 for our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Knowing that this is our goal, to become more like Christ, how does that give us motivation? (coughs) It gives us motivation to be morally straight. To be free from the corruption of sin. Isn't that what Jesus wants for each one of us? He doesn't. I remember we were talking about in Sabbath school this morning about the bondage to sin. And that's what Jesus came to free us from is free us from the bondage of sin. Notice verse three. And every man that hath this hope in him Purifieth himself even as he is, p- is pure Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law For sin is the transgression of the law And ye know that he was manifested To take away our sins And in him is no sin Whosoever abideth in him Sinneth not Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him Neither known him little children how many of you have a concordance at home Con- a bible concordance Strong. Strong's strong's concordance look up look up these, this phrase little children or especially the word children here when you look in strong's concordance about this little children It actually means infants. So John is talking to these people. He's talking to the Ephesians as if they are infants in Christ. Because they were just coming uh, coming in and growing up in Christ. But isn't that an endearing term though? Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. And then he says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God this is the first point that john is making in this chapter and that is that god is the one that can give us victory over sin how many of us feel that we struggle that we struggle in sin i don't see very many hands going up i guess everybody's righteous here (laughs) we all have those struggles don't we But it says in these verses john says god gives us the victory it is through faith in jesus christ that the truth is accepted in the heart and the human agent is purified and cleansed he has an abiding principle in the soul that enables him to resist temptation isn't that beautiful but unless the mind of god becomes the mind of men Then every effort to purify himself will be useless. And that reminds me of another text in the Bible that says all our righteousness is as filthy rags. It is impossible to elevate man except through a knowledge of God. And the knowledge of the truth planted in the heart. Now notice again verse 4 whosoever committeth a sin transgresses also the law for sin is the transgression of the law is there a difference between committing a sin and remaining in sin i see some heads nodding what's the difference forsaking asking forgiveness okay forsaking and asking forgiveness not finding a way to continue to commit the sin not making excuses for it you know even those that are most faithful commit sin from time to time but they do not cherish it and they do not choose to continue to commit it. A believer who commits a sin repents, confesses and is forgiven. A person who remains in sin however is not sorry for what they are doing. They don't care. Thus they continue and they never receive forgiveness for it. Such a person is against God no matter what kind of religious claims they may have. Notice again verses 8 and 9 He that committeth sin is of the devil For the devil sinneth from the beginning For this purpose the Son of God was manifested That he might destroy the works of the devil Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin For his seed remaineth in him And he cannot sin because he is born of God We all have areas in our lives where temptation is strong very strong habits are very easy to break hmm? do what hard to break. habits are hard to break do you know why habits are so hard to break how many of you have been on a road that and a dirt road that the wheels have carved out troughs in the road. And you can't hardly drive on the road unless you go in those troughs. Our brains are wired in the same way. We we get paths in our brains, and we create those paths, and they become trenches. That's the way I kind of view it, Now, is it easy to fall into those trenches? Very, very, very easy. That's why habits are so hard to break. Because we have developed those. Another, Another illustration is water. Water finds the place of least resistance. And it's the same way with our spiritual life. Sin is going to find the place of least resistance. And so, trying to find those places where it can slip back into the old ways. Is, is sin fun? Yes. Sin is fun. Yes, it is. At the time, it is. And the devil knows it. And the devil knows these weaknesses. That we have. If we are struggling with a particular sin, however, these verses in 1 John are not for us. Even if for the time it seems that we keep on sinning, John is not talking about here the people whose victories are still incomplete. He is talking about the people who make a practice of sinning and constantly look for ways to justify it. That's who he's talking to. And there's three steps that he tells us to find victory over prevailing sin. Number one, seek the power of the Holy Spirit through the word of God. We can't do it on our own. It's impossible. What does is, what is Paul tell us that we're fighting up against? Principalities and powers of darkness. I remember the Syrian army. It's coming to my mind that Elisha was coming to, coming to, um, no, Eliezer, his servant, was coming to Elisha and getting scared because of all the Syrian army that was camped against Israel. He told, he, he said to God, you know, open his eyes. But there's a place in scripture that says one single angel of God wiped out 150,000 men of the Syrians. One single angel. These are powerful beings. And so that is what we are fighting up against. We have no power against something like that. But Jesus does. The other step is flee the desires that lead to the sin. Little boy comes up to the supermarket and he sees that bright, bright, shiny apple. And so he just stands there and his arm goes out. His arm goes out. But as long as he's standing there, the temptation is going to be strong. And so he turns and walks away. Now this is what John is telling us. Excuse me. Flee the desires that lead to the sin. Seek the help of the body of Christ. Accountability to others and the prayers of others. Now notice verse 10. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, Neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Here, John gives us the second point that he is making in this chapter. He's teaching us that if we are gaining victory over sin and we love God, then we will naturally have love for one another. It goes hand in hand. Real love is an action, it is not a feeling. It produces selfless, sacrificial giving. The greatest act of love anyone can do is to give himself or to give herself to others how can we lay down our lives how do we lay down our life for somebody else is it easier and sometimes I think it probably is easier to say I will die for that person than to truly live for them think about it Because living for them involves putting others' desires ahead of our own. Jesus taught this principle in John 15 and verse 13. John 15 and verse 13. Where he says, Greater Love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. We are to love one another as Jesus loved us, and he loved us enough to give his life for us. We may not have to die for someone, but there are other ways to practice sacrificial love. What about sitting and listening to someone? Just listen. Helping, encouraging, giving. Think of someone right now who needs this kind of love today and give all the love that you can possibly give and then try to give a little bit more. That's sacrificial giving. Notice verses 17 and 18. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother, have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. These verses give an example Of how to lay down our lives for others. Because Christians must show their love. You know it's very easy to go up to someone and say I love you isn't it? Very easy. But it's a little more difficult to show that love. They must show their love. And one way to do that is to provide money, to provide material possessions, to provide their time to meet the needs of others. Notice James chapter two. James chapter two, beginning with verse 14. Today, how clearly do your actions say that you really love others or that you really love someone else? Are you as generous as you should be with your time, with your money, with your possessions? Can you truly say this week that you were generous with everything? that you said no words that hurt anyone that all your actions exemplify Jesus Christ in every single way I don't want you to raise your hand but think about it and then I think about last night we had gone up to the uh, Gastonia Hospital to see Cindy we were on our way back there was a pickup truck that was following extremely close behind. You've all been there. You've seen that. Like he's probably saying, would you just get out of my way? Well, I was going slow because there was a car in front of me that was getting ready to turn. And so I was slowing down to give him the time to turn. Well, as soon as that car in front of me turned, that pickup truck just whipped out around me And I saw his hand doing all kinds of things and I just ignored him. Well then, not very long, he started slowing down. His right signal was on. And so I proceeded to pass him, not revving up my engine, just going around him. Well, you know what he did? He didn't just turn. He went way over into my lane and then he turned. I didn't have two kind of words, did I? I didn't use any profanity, but I I don't, I don't remember what I said. That crazy goot or something or another, I don't know what I said. But then after that, I thought about the sermon that I was preaching today. And I said, Lord, help me. Lord, you've got to change me. Because even the people that cut us off on the highway, we need to love. That's what John is telling us. We need to have so much of that love in our hearts that it doesn't matter what situation we're faced with, we're still going to show that love. And I realized, brothers and sisters, (coughs) that last night I wasn't there. Because I still had some of that old self coming out. Verse 19, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. Many are afraid that they don't love others as they should. And they feel guilty because they feel like they're, not, they're just not doing enough to show their service to God. And their conscience bothers them. I believe that John had these very people in mind when he wrote this letter. So how do we escape the accusations of our conscience? We all, we all go there sometimes, don't we? Who is our worst enemy? Ourself. We can condemn ourselves a whole lot more than somebody else can condemn us. But how do we escape these gnawing accusations of our conscience? Not by ignoring them or rationalizing our behavior, but by setting our hearts to rest by the love of God. If we feel guilty, and by the way, who is the one that gives us guilt? It's not Christ. Christ does not use guilt, but the devil does. We should remind ourselves that God knows our hearts as well as our actions. His voice of assurance is stronger than our conscience. If we are truly in Christ, he will never condemn us. Notice Romans 8, chapter 1. Romans 8, chapter 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Isn't that a beautiful thought? No condemnation. So why do we condemn ourselves? We don't need to. Because he doesn't condemn us. So, if you are living for the Lord but feel that you are just not good enough, remind yourself that God is much greater than your conscience. He's the one that's in control. Notice verse 21 of 1 John 3. I told you to keep your hand there and I didn't. 1 John chapter 3, verse 21. Behold, if our heart us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. If your conscience is genuinely clear, then you can come to God completely and totally without any fear, confident that your request will be granted. John reaffirms the promise of Jesus in Matthew 7, 7, where he says, ask and it will be given to you. You will receive if you obey, because when you obey, then you will be asking requests in accordance with the will of God. You see, this doesn't mean that you can have anything you want. Riches, perfect body, brand new car. But if we are truly seeking God's will, then our requests will be in accordance with his will. Verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and what? love love one another as he gave us commandment in the Bible a person's name stands for his character it represents who the person really is we are to believe not only in Jesus words but also in his very person as the son of God to believe on the name means to pattern our lives after the life of Christ, to become more like Him by uniting ourselves with Him. And how do we do that? We were talking about that in, in, the, in the Sabbath school class this morning. How do we do that? How do we become more like Christ? Come on, Sabbath school members. Communication. <laughs> Communication. It's just like it's just like a husband and wife. How do we keep our relationship strong? communication, time with one another. It's the same with our relationship with God. Why is it that that relationship is so many times the one that we put on the back burner? Because so many times we think that we can do it ourselves. So many times we think, okay, God did this over here for me. I, I got this now. But God wants us to come to him all the time verse 24 and he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him and he in him and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us this is a mutual relationship isn't it it's not a one sided relationship It's not God giving all and us giving nothing. It is a give and take relationship. That is why God used the marriage relationship so many times to show the relationship that he wants to have with us is that give and take, that give and take. It's a mutual giving and taking. It's a vital relationship that shows itself in Christians who keep three essential commands. The first one, believe in Jesus Christ, and not just believe because even the devils believe and tremble, but believe and pattern our lives after him. Then, second, love the brothers and sisters, and third, live morally upright. The Spirit's presence is not only spiritual and mystical, but it is practical. Our conduct verifies the Spirit of God living in us. When we study the divine character in the light of the cross, we see mercy. Excuse me. We see tenderness. We see forgiveness blended with equity and justice. We see in the midst of the throne one bearing in hands and feet and side the marks of the suffering endured to reconcile man to God. We see a father, infinite, dwelling in unapproachable light and yet receiving us to himself through the merits of his son. Mm The cloud of vengeance that threatened only misery and despair in the light reflected from the cross reveals the writing of God. And you know what he is telling us? He is telling us to live. Live, sinner. Live, ye penitent believing souls. Live because I have paid the ransom for you. That's what God is telling us in the contemplation of christ we linger on the shore of a love that is measureless we endeavor to tell of this love but language fails us we consider his life on earth his sacrifice for us his work in heaven as our advocate and we consider the mansions that he's preparing for us and for those who love him and we can only exclaim the depth and the height and the love of Christ. Herein is loved, Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Because 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold what manner of God or what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called The sons of God. In every true disciple. This love. Like sacred fire. Burns on the altar of the heart. It was on the earth. That the love of God was revealed through Christ. Now. It is on the earth. That his children. Are to reflect. His love. To everyone around them. Thus, other people are led to the cross of Christ because of our life, our exemplary life.